0: we got to meet quickly today. Just want to take a look before my glasses on. Want to see who I'd know where to go on Labor Day. We're glad to have you here. For those who endured it, going back a few decades, the summer of Miami was nothing to smile about. Florida heat scorched the city by day, baked it by night. Record heat wave hit South Florida. It was also the summer of riots, looting, racial tension, frayed emotions. People were losing everything soared. The thermometer, unemployment, inflation, crime, riots. It's not terribly different from what we're experiencing today, but we're going back decades. Somewhere in the midst of this chaos in Miami, the Miami Herald reporter caught a story that kind of captured the heart of the Miami community. It was a story of Judith Bucknell, attractive, Young, successful, and now dead. Judith Bucknell was homicide 106 in Miami that year. She was killed on another hot night, June 9th. Judith was 38 years old, she weighed 109 pounds. She was strangled and then stabbed seven times. Gruesome death, terrible end to a young woman's life. Her story caught the community because she kept a diary. Had she not kept the diary, her memory would have been lost along with her body, but the diary exists, and it poured out her heart. It's a statement of a lonely life. The Miami, Miami reporter made this comment about her writings. He said, in her diary, Judith created a character, a voice. The character is herself, struggling, weary. The voice is yearning. Judith Bucknell failed to connect age 38 many lovers not much love returned none returned as we sit here kind of typical isn't it maybe the same as a lot of 38 year old women I guess she's worried about getting old getting gaining weight getting married getting pregnant having financial needs met she's pretty typical But half her life was a fantasy, half her life was a nightmare. Successful as a personal assistant, very successful, loser at love. Her diary had entries like this. Judith Bucknell wrote, Where are the men with flowers, champagne, music? Where's the man who would call and ask for an actual genuine date? Where are the men who would like to share more than my bed, my booze, and my food? I would like to have in my life just once before I pass the kind of sexual relationship that's part of a real loving relationship. Whoa. Apparently, Judy never did. Now, Judy was not a prostitute. She was not on drugs. She didn't require government program to help make ends meet. Judy never went to jail. She was upscale. It's not a social outcast here. She was respectable. She jogged. She hosted parties, she wore designer clothes, she had an apartment overlooking the ocean, and she was incredibly lonely. Again, from Judith's Diary. I see people together. I'm so jealous. I want to throw up. What about me? What about me? There she is, successful, surrounded by people, feeling like she's an island. A lot of acquaintances, people she works with, but no real friends. Even a lot of lovers, but no real love. Her diary writes, Who will love Judith Bucknell? I feel old, unloved, unwanted, abandoned, used. I want to cry and sleep forever. These are are aching words. A clear message, even though her body was dead on June 9th in a horrific death. Her heart died long before then, didn't it? From loneliness. Continuing on in Judith Bucknell's diary, I'm alone. I want to share something with somebody else. Who will love Judith Bucknell? That's a brutal line, isn't it? Who will love me? Who will love Judith Bucknell? Loneliness. Not just from Judy Bucknell, it's a cry. It's a moan. It's a wail. It's a gasp from deep in our souls. Can can you hear it? Who will love me? Who cares about me? I don't need more acquaintances. Who will love and care about me? Maybe the voice is from an abandoned child, divorcee, empty mailbox, long nights, alone at holidays, a silent phone on and on. Cries of alone. Turn down the TV in the traffic. Hear the hustle. Listen closely. It's there. In our community, our churches, full of Judy Bucknells. Listen to the cry in the convalescent homes, or the shuffling of feet. Hear it in prisons with the moan of shame. Hear it in the streets of northern Indiana. Unfulfilled ambitions. High school stars where their dreams were never met, the crowded halls of any church, real life community, emptiness from every realm of society, from the top to the bottom, from the failures to the famous, from the poor to the wealthy, from the married to the single. Judith Bucknell is not alone. Who will love me? I know. I know a lot of you. Yes, you've been spared this kind of despair. You've been homesick a time or two. You've had bad days. But despair, far from it. Be thankful this hasn't knocked at your door. Pray it never will. But let me speak to those who know this firsthand. I want to talk to that person who can find a lonely soul just by looking in the mirror. For you, loneliness is a way of life. Sleepless, restless evenings has grown even all the way to distrust. That, that daily hurts, and the emotional games we begin to play with ourselves. Where, where did it begin? At childhood, maybe? At a divorce? At retirement? At the cemetery, saying goodbye to a spouse? Or saying goodbye to a parent? Or even saying goodbye to a child? Or maybe when the kids left home? Maybe, like Judy Bucknell, you have fooled Everyone. Nobody knows how lonely you are. Nobody knows how much you hurt. Nobody knows the tears that nobody else sees. On the outside, you're packaged really well. Your smile is quick. Your job is stable. Your clothes are sharp. They're stylish. The calendar might even be kind of full. Your talk is impressive. But when you're finally alone and have to impress nobody, then it hits. The pretending ends and the pain surfaces. Who will love me Or maybe you're on the other side of that. You're always on the outside of the circle looking in and everybody knows it. Your conversation's always been a little bit awkward. Your companionship is really never requested. Ziggy's your hero. Charlie Brown's a mentor. Am I striking a chord? If you ever privately cry out, who will love me, who will care about me, then I'm talking to you today. Today we're talking about you and to you. Maybe you can even identify with King David. He was going through an incredibly terrible time in his life. Look what he cries out. Psalm 142 verse four. Look around me and see no one cares about me. I have no place of safety. No one cares if I live. Gene, you know there are days I kind of feel that way. So alone, so empty. The hurt is deep in my soul. But i got a message for you today. The single most gut-wrenching cry of loneliness of all history, the single most gut-wrenching cry of all history came from Jesus. The cry of loneliness didn't come from a widow or widower, didn't come from a prisoner or patient. It came from a hill on the cross, the loneliness from Jesus, Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, you have abandoned me. No one was ever more alone than that. No one. No one ever hurt from their soul more than that. No one. No one ever cried out with any more passion of alone than that. Never. Never had, have words carried so much hurt as that one line. Never have words carried so much hurt, so much weight than that one line. No one words ever carried more loneliness than that line, my God, my God, you've abandoned me. But to grasp this, to really understand what's going on here, we've got to go way back, all the way to Leviticus. An incredible annual ceremony designed to teach those people in that that time The removal of sins. Father forgives our sins and casts them away. You need to hear it. Leviticus 16. I'm going to read a couple verses. This will be on the screen for you. 20 to 22. When Aaron had finished making the holy place, the meeting tent, and the altar ready for service to the Lord, he will offer the living goat. He'll put his hands on the head of the living goat. He will confess over it all the sins and the crimes of Israel. In this way... Aaron will put the people's sins on the goat's head. He will then send the goat away into the desert. A man who's been appointed will lead the goat away. So the the goat will carry on itself all the people's sins to a lonely place in the desert. The man who leads the goat will let it loose there. He puts his hands on the goat. A man takes it to the middle of nowhere, pushes it away and the goat runs. You can almost hear the heart of these people, run goat, run! Run! Run Run far away from us! By the way, that's where we get our term scapegoat. This goat is the scapegoat. This goat represents the sins taken away, the sins of the people of Egypt, uh, excuse me, of Israel. Go back. Go in the crowd. They gather around. They're quiet. It's a sacred moment. An unspotted goat comes. In the somber ceremony, the priest will lay his hands on the goat's head. The people will witness. The priest makes the proclamation. The sins of the people are on you. The sins of Israel are on you. The sins may be banished from us. The sins may be banished from our community. This innocent animal symbolically takes on the sins of the Israelites. All the lust, all the adultery, all the stealing, all the cheating are, are symbolically transferred to this goat through the high priest. And then they have to remove the sins from the community. The symbolism's powerful. The goat's taken to the edge of the wilderness, released, banished. He's running away symbolically carrying their sins. You can almost hear them scream, Run, goat, run! Run! Sin must be purged. The scapegoat is abandoned. Run off. The people are relieved. Yahweh is appeased. The goat, the sin-bearer, is alone in the wilderness. But now, Calvary, Jesus is the sin-bearer, not the goat, but the lamb. He's not just symbolically bearing our sins upon him. He is bearing up under our sins. Our sacrifice, and now he is alone. The scapegoat had to be alone. Now the lamb has to be alone. The Father who Jesus has lived in is abandoning Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, you have forsaken me. Jesus is banished. He is alone. God is light and he turns his back and the world goes dark. A holy God would not look upon sin And as he turns away and the darkness comes, Jesus cries out completely alone. All of my sins is on my scapegoat. All of my sins is on Jesus. Every lie we all told, everything we've ever coveted, every cheat, every steal, every, 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 every is on his shoulders alone. And the scapegoat, the lamb, is alone. Maybe he was there at creation. He partnered in creation. He was there at eternity's dawn. He's alone now abandoned. And it's almost as if a billion trillion angels are screaming, run, go, run! It's more than Jesus can take. He withstood the beatings. He was silent at the trials. He watched in silence as those that loved him ran away. He didn't scream when nails went into his wrists. He didn't scream when nails went into his ankles. But now the Father turns away and the world is dark. And it's more than he can take. And my God comes out of his bleeding lips. A holy heart is broken. The sin bearer is abandoned. Jesus, the Son of God, is completely abandoned. And all heaven screams, run, go, run. Why would Jesus do this? Well, we've got the official answers, don't we? To fulfill prophecy to fulfill the law. I'm not making fun of those. Those answers are right. Yeah, they're correct. They are right. But maybe there's something more powerful here, even than that. Maybe there's a statement of compassion here, something incredibly personal. Go back to Judy Bucknell's diary, the most sad sentence in this litany of depression and loneliness and sadness the most sad sentence in the whole shebang to me is the one line, Who will love Judith Bucknell? Oh, man. Who will love Judith Bucknell? And a risen Savior comes storming out of heaven and says, I will. I understand loneliness. I understand you're hurt. I know what it feels like to feel abandoned. I know what it feels like to feel completely alone. I know what it feels like to have loneliness in the heart of your soul. Jesus cries out to every Judy Bucknell in the world, I love you and I care about you. I get you. I understand the hurt of our darkest hour. Jesus speaks to every Judy Bucknell here. In the heart of loneliness that you almost feel like cannot be solved. Jesus comes along and says, I love you. And I know what that hurt feels like. Even more than you think, I understand what that hurt feels like. I love you. Let's stand together. I want to have a word of prayer and share a little bit about next week. Father, it's a very personal thought today. For merely 25 minutes or so, We were talking about one thing, hurt. Hurt down in our soul. Hurt down in our gut. I I don't know if there's anything more powerful than loneliness. That feeling that does anybody anywhere care? I have so many acquaintances, so many people I can shake hands with, and so many people know my name. Who actually cares and loves me? That line in that diary is haunting. Who will love Judy Bucknell? I think she's, she represents a lot of people, even people here today. And yet you come alongside and say, I love you so much. You don't have an emotion I haven't experienced. I know what it is to feel alone. I feel. I know what it is to go to bed at night and feel alone. I know what it is to feel abandoned. Father, today, may you just come alongside somebody and hug them, spiritually put arms around them, spiritually whisper in their ear, I love you so much. I love you. For we desperately need your touch. Remind us, encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us. That's really why we've come to worship. We need to hear from you more than anything. And Father, we praise you in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Next week, we want to build on this a little bit. We're going to kind of stay, stay in this realm of our emotions. There was the single, uh, one of the most bizarre healings in Scripture. Jesus healed a woman with a spirit of infirmities. Now, this is, a, this is a different healing. She didn't have an infirmity. She wasn't physically sick. She had a spirit of infirmities. So, the, was she a spirit? Was she demon possessed? And that's what Jesus is healing her of? No. She wasn't demon possessed because Jesus put his hands on her. He never touched anybody who was demon possessed. Theologians have, have wrestled with this and come to the only conclusion possible. It wasn't a physical need, it wasn't demon possession, but she was healed. As we look at her, She was healed of an emotional damage. Could it possibly be that we're so emotionally damaged, we're bent over, that we're so emotional, something's happened somewhere in our past, we've been so emotionally damaged that we actually need a healing? Next week we're going to walk through the process of this healing, how that applies to us, and how we begin a healing of our emotional damage that's occurred in our life. Jesus partners with us in this. We're going to kind of keep on a theme of, of healing as we just continue to worship together. Let's worship together one more time.